If you've been tra- trekking along with us, we are uh, three weeks into this series called Live No Lies. And um, this is a, a series that we started uh, based off of the John Mark Homer book, uh, Live No Lies. And um, it's an incredible book. Uh, like Pastor John Mark said last week, if you um, haven't gotten that or you want to read that, we would encourage you to read that. It's an incredible um, resource to be able to just do exactly that, live no lies. And that's what we've been talking about is that we believe there are three main areas that, that um, there are lies in our world, or in, our, in our culture. And the first is, is that the devil is the father of lies. We talked about that week one, that that is his native tongue, that he just speaks lies. And so all he does is lie, 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 because he wants to destroy us. And so um, last week we talked about flesh and the desires of our flesh and how um, when those are disordered, those desires can actually create so much havoc in our life um, and in our internal just being. And so um, and that just so much lie there. And then the next week, we'll talk about the world. Um, and so the devil, flesh, and the world are kind of three areas that um, are, are coming at us with lies. And so the, today and this morning, um, I want to just kind of piggyback a little bit off of where Pastor John Mark was going last week with, um, with the desires of the flesh. Um, I was thinking about it this, uh, today and, um, and just kind of processing through like what... You know, what I know that the desires of our flesh, if you were here last week or you weren't here, what we were talking about with desires of the flesh is that there are good things that our flesh desires, such as eating food. That's not bad. Um, do that. It's like, that's a good thing. Sex is a good thing. Um, having money is not a bad thing. Power is not a bad thing. It's, these are good things, but when they are placed in the position of ultimate, that's when they become um, disordered and they begin to destroy us from the inside out. When, when sex becomes something more than what it was designed to be, then it begins to tear us apart. It, 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 God designed it in such a way that it's supposed to have boundaries around it. If I were to ask you this morning, um, who, uh, who's ever set a fire in their living room? Anyone? Who has a fireplace? <laughs> right? When we do it in the boundaries that it's supposed to be in, it is safe and it actually brings warmth and it brings comfort. But when we take it outside of the boundaries, we take sex or money or power or, or um, esteem or whatever it may be out of its intended purpose, that's when it becomes destructive. For instance, like money and power. Money and power, again, are not bad things, but when they become ultimate, then what happens is, is that then our, our, our view of it begins to not only affect the inside of us, but also affects how we see people. And can I tell you that um, we started this series off with that we have a real enemy, real enemy of the devil. The devil is a real enemy that, that, that is full of lies. And his goal is to destroy you and to destroy me and, and to destroy the church and to destroy everything that God stands for. And the way that he can do that is by disordering our desires, disordering our fleshly desires, because he knows that that's going to, one, impact us on the inside. But then what also that does is that actually affects how we view people. Because if we have disordered desires of, of money and power and sex, then, be, then people become um, a project or people become a means to an end. And they don't become the priority. That the enemy is saying, hey, if I can just get the church to kind of focus in on their own stuff, if I can get them to just focus in on money, we'll just take money. 
They can just focus in on money and then if they, they, they're, they, all I want them to do is just get as much money as they can. And that's, that's kind of their, where they feel just powerful. They feel like life is good because I got this much in the bank and I'm good to go. Then, then what happens is that when people begin to um, affect that money, then they become the problem. They become the obstacle. They become the enemy. Or if sex becomes a, 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 an ultimate thing where like you're just wanting to, to just fulfill that, that, that bodily need or that bodily desire, then people become just an object. And the enemy is saying, if I can just, if I can just convince them that people are, are, are in the way and that they're the enemy, then I could just wreak havoc in the whole church. But the, that's the enemy's goal in this. That's the enemy's ju- desire is to just see us as people just self-destruct from the inside out. And he does this in disordered desires. And so much so that I believe that um, with these desires, I believe it's so damaging that one, one, of the, one of the ways that it affects the church so much is that it keeps, like I said, it keeps us separated. It becomes that you have something that I want or you are something that I want to use or you are in the way of getting to where I want to be or you have the position or the job or the whatever. And so now you become of just a, and we begin to separate to where we begin to actually become enemies to one another. And that, if that's all that the enemy could do is just get us in that position, He'd be fine with that because he knows that that eliminates that effectiveness. Because I could, for instance, if I said one word, I'm going to say a word. It's not a bad word. But if I said one word, I believe that there is an emotional response in each one of us that, that could fall into one of these three. Maybe it's something different, but, and the word is this, it's unity, unity. And what I mean by unity is I mean Church unity, a unified people, unity. And I think it's some of us, if you're like me, then some of us, the response immediately could be impossible. That's impossible. It's impossible to, we, I mean, look at, look at our life, look at our, look at our culture, look at, look at politics in general. Look at just where we are with racial division and political division and cultural and, and everything else. We, we could never be unified as a people. And then let's look at, let's look at Sundays. Sunday morning is still one of the most um, segregated times of the week. There's so many denominations, there's so many different races, there's so many different cultures, and, and it's almost like we're, 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 we're so broken in our unity that when I say the word unity, for some of us, it's just this response of that's impossible. It's impossible. Or maybe it's, maybe it's not the impossible. Maybe it's that when I say that word unity, it becomes like a, um, almost like a numb feeling, like a numb or a, uh, that's, that's not for me. Kind of like a, just, nah, I don't really have any feelings towards it. It's just whatever it is. It's just not my responsibility. I can't really do that because it's, it's kind of over there and I'm here and I'm focusing on this. And so, so when I say the word unity, then it's like, oh, okay, that's, maybe it's not impossible, but really it's just not my responsibility. You know, it's, or, it's, or it's anger. 
Or maybe it's even this anger that we think, we say, hey, you know what? As a church, we want to be unified. And, and instead of um, this like, oh, yes, Jesus, we do. It's like this morning, it's like, no, I've sat at Thanksgiving dinner. I don't want to be unified to those people. I don't want to be the same as that person. I don't want to, I don't believe the same way they do. How could we ever be unified? I could, and it's, so it's like this anger that builds up in us. And what hap- what's happening is, is that the enemy is saying, hey, if I can just get their desires disordered, then I can just create this, this us versus them. You are the enemy. I am the right. And it becomes this just perpetual cycle where the enemy is just like, as long as I can get them just going after something else that's ultimate, that's not actually Jesus, then they will actually turn on themselves and unity will be impossible. Why is that important? Because I think Jesus thinks that's important. Jesus talks about it a number of times, but specifically in John 17, verse 11. John 17, verse 11, he is headed towards the cross. He is, he is moving towards that, that end game and, and, and he's praying to the Father and he says this, he says, and I am no longer in the world. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, but they are in the world and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Why is this unity such a big deal? Because I believe Jesus knows that it's a big deal. That, that it's, a, it's such a big deal that, that we are one. We are one people moving towards one goal. He knows that if we get into that place, that the enemy has no foothold and the enemy has no chance and that he is going to be just once again defeated. But if he can get his foot in there, then he can just create re- begin to wreak havoc. And so Jesus is saying, my prayer, for the, my prayer for my disciples, my prayer for the Christians, he's saying, I pray that they would be one. Even as, as you and I, Father, are one, I pray that the church is also one. And earlier in this book, John 13, Jesus again, he's speaking to his disciples. Verse 34, 35, he says, a new commandment I give you. Understand that these disciples are hearing this and they're like, whoa, 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 you're giving us a commandment. You haven't given us a commandment this entire time, but now you're giving us a commandment? What is this commandment? He says this, he says, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And Jesus states it again. He says, this love for one another is not just a toleration of people, but he's saying this is a love, like a a oneness kind of love. He's saying, I again, he's saying, I want my people to be one. I want them to love one another. I want them to, to, to genuinely just care about each other. And that's where the lies come in. And that's where the enemy says, okay, If that's what Jesus wants, then I'm going to do everything I can on the opposite side to try and break that down. And so I'm going to start putting lies in their heads. I'm going to start putting lies in front of their face, on their screens, on their social media, wherever it may be, to where it says that those people are the enemy. 
and that we use social media in a way that, that it's, not a, it's not a fun and, and a place to connect and anything else, but no, it becomes a, a weapon to just hurt people now. It's a place that we can actually take a, take a stand and say, hey, I can't say this in anyone's face, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say it on social media and hope that someone gets changed by it. Instead of actually saying, no, 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 people are not the enemy. Jesus is saying, or Satan is saying, if I can just get them to think that they're each of them are the enemy, then I can disrupt this unity, I can disrupt this love, I can disrupt all these things, and I don't have to do much else. And so this, this fleshly desire that we talked about last week, that, that there are things in us that are, are actual physical desires that are not bad. Like I said, like eating and drinking and um, money and everything, I mean, food. It's, it's just, they aren't bad things. But when they become ultimate, that's when they begin to disrupt. And that's when they just begin to destroy. And so we're going to turn to a, a, a portion of scripture that, that I've, I've just been reading over the past, I don't know how long. And, and I just would encourage you, if you've got a Bible, go to 1 Th- Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. And I've been reading this, I've been reading this verse, and it's been just challenging me with this idea of, of fighting for unity. And so before we read chapter 4, I'm going to give you a little background on it. It's, it's Paul, the Apostle Paul, is, is, is writing a letter um, to this church in Thessalonica. He's writing it to the church, to the Christians, and he's trying to say to them, hey, you got and for the first three chapters. For the first three chapters, he has been going on and on about how well they're doing. He's saying, you guys are doing so good. You're doing so well. He says, you're loving, you're loving your brothers. You're loving your sisters well. He's saying so much so that, that you guys have even in chapter one, he says, you've turned from the idols. You've turned from the way the culture is living and you are actually turning away from idols and living for Jesus. Like he's saying, you're doing an incredible job. For, for three chapters, he's talking about this. And then in chapter 4, he gets to this kind of change. Verse 9, and Paul continues to write, he says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. And for that, indeed, is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. He's saying you're doing a good job. He's saying I don't have anything else to write about brotherly love. You're doing that. You're doing a great job. And then he continues to say, but we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And I would say the same to the gathering church. I would say that, church, you guys are doing an incredible job. Like you genuinely, this is one of the most generous churches I've ever been to. I mean, our, our, our... Financially, you guys are across the nation, one of the most generous churches, honestly. That's not just blowing smoke. We, we, we love people well. Like, we really genuinely do. I feel like people come in and, 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 and they feel like they're at home. I don't know if you've been around for the past couple of weeks, but we're getting more and more people that are coming, and that's an amazing thing. And we're not here to build a kingdom of just a bunch of numbers, but we are here to build a kingdom of a bunch of numbers of people that are changing their life from death to life. And that's what's happening. And that's because of the response that people are getting when they come in, that we are a generous, loving church. And so hear me say that first, that I do not think that this is just me. Just get it together. (laughs) 
But I think that we're doing an incredible job. But then Paul challenges his people and he says, but now I urge you. I urge you. He's saying, I'm not, I'm not like suggesting. I'm not like um, encouraging. He's saying, I'm urging you. There's no, in, in, in his language, he was trying to think of the most um, intense form of urge and push. He's saying, I urge you to do this more and more. Because there is an enemy that's coming and that is here and that is trying to divide us. And I think God's saying, He's talking to this crew. He's talking to, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with Paul, but Paul is, is, is the most, um, aside from Jesus, he is the most um, influential human being, I believe, that's ever walked the earth, aside from Jesus. That Paul has been written into more of the, new, more of the Bible than any other writer. He's quoted throughout um, historical documents more than most, if not any other writer. He is one of the most influential people in the world from all time. And even in Acts 17, if you haven't read that, it's amazing that his first sermon that he preaches in public, um, at the bottom of it, you, you read um, at the, I say the bottom because it's on the bottom of my book. Um, <laughs> books don't work like that. But at the bottom of it, um, you see that the, the leaders and the rulers are like saying, we got to find Paul. Because Paul and all of his crew, they're turning the world upside down because of how they love people. He says they're turning the world upside down because of this man called the Christ. And so we've got to find him and we've got to put him in jail. And now he's writing to this church in Thessalonica and he's saying, hey, you guys are doing the same thing. He's saying, Thessalonica, your church is doing the same thing. You're turning from idols. That's a big money place for the, for the culture. So for a group of people to turn from the way that the culture is doing it and do it a completely different way to the point where the, the, the city is starting to take notice, it's changing things. And so Paul and this group of this church are changing things. And my question for us this morning is, is how? How are they doing that? How do, we, how do we more and more love? How do we more and more change and turn the world upside down. I've got three points. That's it. Um, no different sets of points, just three points. But I believe these three points, if we can grasp them and hold on to them and take them to heart, I believe that it can absolutely change our world. It can change us from the inside out. It can change our dinner, or our dining room tables. It can change um, our, our just anything. It, it will change everything. And so if you're taking notes, we're going to be in Thessalonica, Thessalonica. We're going to be in Thessalonia, Thessalonians. And we're going to start in chapter two. And so the question is, is what is needed for this unity, for this kind of unity that turns the world upside down? What's needed? And again, three points. The first one is this. A wholehearted community. A wholehearted community. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 through 20 says this. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again but Satan hindered us. 
Verse 19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Paul is trying to put into words in a letter to this church saying, I care about you. Not only do I care about you, but you, you are, you are, he says it in the script. He says, you are my hope and my joy. You are the crown of my boasting on the day that the Lord comes back. He's saying it is you. It's not my, my deeds or my acts or anything else. It's not my Bible reading. It's not my memory, a scripture memory. Because Paul understands that his scripture memory and his Bible reading, if that you're reading your Bible right and you're not loving people, then you're not reading your Bible right. He's saying if, you're, if your time with Jesus in the morning is not causing you to love people more, then maybe you're missing on what the time with Jesus is all about. Because Paul is saying people are our priority. He's saying they're not our enemy. They're not our projects. They're not our obstacles. They are our priority. And Paul is trying to tell them and convince them through words, I care about you. I care about you. And we know this. Who remembers the best teacher that they've ever had or the best coach? Um, if you, ever, if you if, just kind of get that picture in your mind of who you think your best teacher or professor or, or coach was. Mine was a coach because I slept through all of my classes and none of my teachers liked me. Um, but my coach loved me. Um, but, but I remember like one of the things about my coach that, that I loved so much is that I, know, I knew that he cared about me. It was more than just like he wasn't, I mean, there were, I had some other coaches in my life. I played baseball. It was great. Um, there were some other coaches in my life that, that were better. Te- uh, they had better techniques. They had better, like, um, they were more organized. They planned the practices better. But my, this coach, Coach Lynch, I can still remember 20 years ago, him sitting us down every day after practice and talking to us and just looking at us in our face when 15, 16, 17-year-old boys just saying, hey, I'm here. I care about you. Tell me, tell me more. And he, we, had, we had some of the hardest practices. Like we ran so much and we just did so many and it was like exhausted. And, and, um, but I just remember, I was like, I will play baseball for this guy because of how much I know he cares. And every Friday, not every Friday after practice, we'd always have a afternoon practice and then we'd be going home for the weekend. Um, and he would say the same thing every single week. He'd always say, boys, Eyes. He said, you got the weekend off. He said, boys, don't throw the baseball so far over the fence that you can't go get it. And I, maybe you don't get this, but I, I heard that and I just have still remember it today. Basically what he was saying is he's saying, don't be stupid. Don't go be dumb this weekend so far that you push yourself over the edge that you can't come back. He was just saying, hey, make wise decisions. He was saying, hey, take, take care, just just." Don't be dumb. And I was like, thanks. <laughs> thanks, coach. And then I'd be go dumb. I would go be dumb. Um, but, but I just remember that. What, what was it about him? It wasn't that he was the smartest. It wasn't that he was the best. It was that he cared. And I think Paul's trying to say the same. He's trying to say, hey, I care about you. Wholehearted community. How do we have unity inside of our churches that we have wholehearted community? What do I mean by this? I mean that you are all in. 
that you are all in on community, that, there's, that there, it, is a scary, it is scary to step into a, a relationship with someone and actually begin to be real with them. You're all in and saying that, you, that when someone in your, in your community, when they hurt, you hurt. When they're happy, you're happy. When they're sad, you're sad. You're walking alongside them. You are in life with them. Because, Jesus, uh, because Paul is saying, he's saying, my, my goal at the end of my life is not that, not that I have a whole bunch of trinkets and not that I have all of these cars or uh, they didn't have cars, but uh, whatever. He's like, I, the, that's not my goal. My goal is that I laid down my life for you. He's saying that here. He's saying even I, Paul, again, hindered us for hope, crown. He says, but before the Lord Jesus at his coming what is our hope and joy and crown? Is it not you? He's saying it's beyond just, just getting along, but it's a wholehearted, I'm in this. I'm with you. I'm walking alongside you. I love you. I, I care about you. And can I be real that everyone's heard the um, FOMO? You've heard FOMO, fear of missing out. Have you ever heard of FOBO? FOBO, fear of better offers. How many of us know that we're afraid to step into community because we're afraid that we might miss out on a better offer? We're afraid to say, I'm gonna to commit to this small group. I'm gonna to commit to this dream team. I'm gonna to commit to, to doing life with these people because oh, what if I get a better offer? What if I get a better offer down the road? What if I, something more fun comes around? Can I just tell you that, that I hope and pray that you don't get to the point where there's not any more offers? My hope and prayers is that, that we say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to have the FOBO. I'm not going to have the fear of better offers. I'm just going to step into community. And it's going to be messy at first. And it's going to be awkward. And, and maybe I won't get it all right. But that's okay. Just step into it. Just step into community and start being real. Start being real with someone and, and letting them be real with you. And then commit to it. Like wholeheartedly means like it's not just like when it's convenient, but you're wholeheartedly stepping into community saying, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to you. I'm with you. You're with me. We're, we're in this wholehearted community. That's what Paul has for these people. Number two is this. Truth and love. Truth and love. How do we have unity in our church? How do we have, how do we be that group of people? We have truth and love. First Thessalonians 3, 9 and 10 says this. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for you or for you. We feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Who's ever gotten a letter like that? Where they're like, hey, I cannot wait to see you. It's been so long. I can't wait to get there because I need to provide to you what is lacking in your faith. Thanks, Dad. Just kidding. Um, just kidding. How many of us received it, have ever had a, a, a letter like that? Or even how many of us have had a friend like that? A friend that, that or, or have we been a friend too? Where we're saying, you know what? I love you so much that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to 
risk embarrassment to tell you maybe some blind spots that I have or that I see about you. Morgan told me last, between services, she says, hey, Mikey, your beard was doing this. <laughs> Is it still? Just kidding. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Um, but how many of us have a friend like this that we are able to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you some truth right now. And this truth is not just a me judging you. Me, this is not just a truth of me just, just bashing you for all the things you're doing wrong. This truth is based in love. It's based in this wholehearted community that we are building. And so I want to I have truth in that. But so often as a church culture, we go one of two sides. We go truth without love, which is harsh. Or we go love without truth, which is compromise. But Jesus is saying, I am truth and love. He's saying we've got to have truth and love. So often we don't say things that we see in our friends. Why? Because we're afraid that our friends may not like us anymore. Is it loving? Who is, who, is it loving for a parent or an adult or anyone to see a child running to the street and say, oh, I don't know if I want to say anything because I don't want to be a killjoy. I want that kid to have fun. I want them to think that I'm a fun person. So I'll let them continue to run to the street. Or do I say, no, 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 no. And I grab them and I pull them back and saying, I don't care if you don't think I'm very much fun. I just saved your life. And I think that the church needs a little kick in the butt to say, hey, we need to be real, a lot more truthful with each other, but in, in love. So we're saying, hey, brother, sister, I see you going down this road and, and, I, and this is, I'm, I'm trying to humbly come to you and say, this is really, really difficult for me to say it to you, but, but you need to go a different way. You're going to have to do something different. For us to be a unified group, we've got to be able to be truthful with each other. We've got to be able to say, bro, you got something jacked up in your teeth. <laughs> I got gappy teeth, so I don't ever have that problem, but... You're all looking at my teeth right now. Um, but we've got to be a church that's able to say, hey, I see you going down this road and in fear, even in fear of maybe hurting your feelings, I'm going to tell you the truth because I love you. And then we've got to be able to reciprocate that. And then what happens when your friends come to you and tell you all the things that you're doing wrong? Or maybe, maybe okay. Let's not do a list ever. <laughs> Maybe just one at a time, okay? Is that fair? Um, but when your friends come to you or your, 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 your wholehearted community comes to you and says, hey, Mikey, I see what you're doing. I see you going down this road. And hey, you got to have to stop, man. And what if they do it in a way that is not maybe appeasing to you? Maybe they offend you. In that moment, are you, do they become the enemy? Or do you hear the truth in it and allow that to even change you still? We've got to have truth in love. We've got to be able to look at each other as a family and be able to say, hey, I see a, I see a blind spot. I see a blind spot. Let me help you. And we've got to be able to say, hey, where are my blind spots? Help me. And I think if we get to that place that's wholehearted and truth and love, there's going to be unity coming because we're in this together. The last one is this. 
The last one is this. It's a compelling vision. A compelling vision. 1 Thessalonians 3, 11 through 13 says this. Now, may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, verse 13, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus and all his saints. Just having the best players and having the right team and having the right strategy is, is, is half the battle. You got to have the right vision. You got to have the right compelling reason for why you're doing it. How many know that a great why and the best why will make any what worth it? You following me? That if you have the right why, why I'm doing this, why it is that we're, why it is that we're wholeheartedly stepping in to this relationship in this community, if we have the right why for that, then the what, that's fine. It's worth it. If we know what the why is on why we're telling the truth, why we're looking at our friends that we dearly love, and we're saying, hey, I see you, and it's destructive, and I see it's breaking you, it's hurting your family, it's hurting your friends, it's hurting you. And I want to step in, even though it hurts me to tell you this, you got to stop. The what is worth it if you understand the why. And our why is the greatest why in the world. Our, our why is, is that, that Jesus came and he died and he, he gave his life so that I could be a son and you could be a daughter and a son and that we could actually have eternal life with him. We know that, that Jesus' whole purpose was that he came to earth to go to a cross and to say, hey, Mikey's sins are mine now. He is covered. He is blameless. And that's the why. And that we know that in this verse it's saying, and Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back and my goal, my mission, my job, my vision, my reason for living is to not memorize every scripture or to, to do all the right things or to show up at church. But my reason is so that I can bring as many people with me and I can bring as many people with me to heaven and we can empty hell forever so that we can say, hey, there's a place and there's a person, there's a God that absolutely loves you. The why that we do these things, the why that we, we step into wholehearted community and we, the why is because Jesus loves people. Jesus loves people and Jesus is saying to his disciples, saying, a new command I give you, love one another. Love one another. Love one another where it, when it hurts. Love one another when it's easy. Love one another when it's convenient or inconvenient. Love one another because the why is so much greater because then they can move from death to life. So often I, people are baffled by, you know, why is it, why Mikey, why do you, why do you, why are you so passionate about this? And my question for you is this, have you ever seen someone go from death to life? 
Have you ever experienced saying, hey, I gotta tell you about Jesus. Some of us Christians in here have been Christians for decades. My challenge to you is to say this, do you understand the why enough to say, have you ever talked to someone about Jesus? And you don't have to have a theological de degree. You don't, have to have, you don't have to be a preacher or a microphone. You just gotta tell them your story. You just gotta say, hey man, I was dead. I was trapped. I was just locked in my sin. But then I met this man named Jesus and he rescued me and saved me. And now I'm alive in Christ. And have you ever seen someone move from death to life? I got to see my brother go from death to life, my older brother. And I remember sitting with him in my bedroom and I just graduated high school and he comes into my room and he's like, Mikey, because we're friends. He says, Mikey, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing in my life. And I get to walk him through Jesus loving him and I get to pray with him and he gets to receive Christ, he receives Jesus. And I remember at that moment, I was addicted. I was addicted to seeing every single person I could ever meet come to know Jesus in a, in a life-giving way. And I'm guilty that I gotta be reminded of that from time to time. I gotta be reminded of the compelling vision that we have as a church. That our job isn't done until every person knows Jesus or we go and see him. So my encouragement to you this morning is to get in community, find the people that you could be honest with and they could be honest with you and be reminded of our compelling vision that Jesus, Jesus, Maybe someone in here this morning doesn't know Jesus. Maybe you hear me talking about him and talking about this relationship and talking about what that, and you feel that, you feel that, that prompting, you feel that something going on on the inside. Can I just tell you that's the Holy Spirit? It's not weird. It's not goofy. It's just, that's just what it is. That's who he is. And that if that's you this morning, that you, you know that, that there's not been that moment in your life to where you said, you know what, God, I'm giving you my life. I'm receiving the gift of salvation that you've been offering. If that's you this morning, I would encourage you and I'd plead and I would urge you to pray with me as I pray. With every head bowed and eyes closed, pray, Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my God. I need you to be my savior, Lord. I am a mess and I need someone to rescue me. Lord, would you come into my life and give me the gift that you've been offering me from the beginning of time, your salvation. Jesus, save me. Rescue me. Bring me into your family this morning. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.